Oh, it's something going on with our Facebook. Edit. Nothing has, um, says the broadcast is live already. We're live. Okay. Yay. Running a little bit late. Let us go ahead because we have in technical difficulties. Thanks the world of technology. I'm going to go ahead and put our intro on and we'll get this thing started. Okay, yes. Yay. you can you hear me? Yes, I can. Are we here? Okay, I just want to go ahead and prelude this way. Everybody at the Well Project is my WCW for today, okay? <laughs> I don't know how we are able to, you know, just get through these technical issues. Every week is always something, but we are here and I'm so grateful. So, hello and welcome to, we're already on our fifth episode of A Girl Like Me Live. In this episode, I'm so excited. Um, we have Masanya Trailer here. We're going to talk about pregnancy and HIV. This is a part of the Well Project's new live streaming um, series, A Girl Like Me Live, which is a series advancing health and wellness discussions and education among women living with and vulnerable to HIV. Every two weeks, I, Cece Coven, will sit down with different co-hosts to chat about key topics in our community. Um, like I said, we have Masanya today, and I am so, so excited. So first, I'm going to ask you, Masanya, to introduce yourself and the affiliations you may have, and we'll just get this thing started. Okay. So my name is Masanya Trailer, pronounced Masanya, and I'm, uh, I am living in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> and as far as affiliations, I am a community advisory member of the Well Project, and I am a member of Positive Women's Network and CEO and founder of Lady Burgundy, a nonprofit organization that services women living with HIV and AIDS. Only because I know you, I feel like you're leaving some stuff out, but I'm going to let you live. Okay. <laughs> you're going to let you live. Okay, so... um. Yes, and pregnancy and HIV. How does this play into your life? Like, how does pregnancy and HIV even go together? It's how it all started for me. <laughs> like, from the very beginning, um, pregnancy and HIV is all that I learned from the very beginning because when I was diagnosed with HIV uh, 10 years ago, I also found out that I was pregnant within the first 14 days of my diagnosis. So I learned about HIV and how to navigate it after I gave birth. So it used to be hard. Yeah, it was awful. It was terrible. I know that's not it was all at the same time. Yeah. It was it was rude. Life wasn't kind. <laughs> what came first? Was it the pregnancy or was it the diagnosis? It was a diagnosis. I got diagnosed on a Friday. I went to the infectious disease special. I went, first of all, <laughs> I got diagnosed at my OBGYN. So I went to go get tested for all STDs because that's what I used to do, like regular. Well, I, still, I guess I still do that. Um, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> get tested annually for all STDs just to go back and encourage my friends to get tested. Um, cause a lot of them were like afraid and stuff. So I'm like, if I do it, you, you can do it. You got this. Um, and then on that Monday, which was within 72 hours, I, um, went to an infectious disease specialist that was highly recommended to me from the OBGYN. And they were, you know, at the OBGYN, they told me, you know, that you can still have babies and we have women here living with HIV that we've birthed babies. And I'm just like, I ain't stunned no baby right now. I don't want no baby. <laughs> but um, while I was there at the infectious disease specialist, within a week, I realized my cycle is late. Something ain't right. So um, once I told my doctor that my cycle was late, she kind of took a deep breath in the side because I was struggling with wrapping my mind around the HIV diagnosis. And she, I didn't know doctors was going through it too. I, you know, it was all about me. Um, and within like the next week when I got tested, um, she did a pregnancy test and she came back in the door and she leaned against the wall and kind of her shoulders dropped and she was just like, yeah, you're, you're pregnant. And I was like, okay. Why she had to be so dramatic? Why the shoulders had to go on the wall and drop? Because she loved me and she knew that I was struggling. I was her special child as soon as I came in the door. Like, um, I was scared that people wouldn't want to touch me. Um, I was like really apprehensive about like everybody that I was meeting. It was extreme. It was overwhelming. I was, I met like seven people in one day at one doctor's office. I had never experienced that before, but you know, this within those two weeks of knowing this practitioner, this nurse practitioner, my provider, she had already prayed with me, prayed for me. I don't know if she broke HIPAA laws or anything, but she was calling me every day because I was, I'm pretty sure I was suicidal. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was having a breakdown. I was crying every single day. When that was just because of the HIV diagnosis. Right. And then you get a, a positive right. pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then I found out I'm pregnant. And not only am I finding out that I'm pregnant, um, you know, now I got time to decide, do I want to keep this baby or not? Do I Are you about to cry? I've already started. Um, me too. Okay, come on. Let me go, go get the tissue. I'm just going to sit here. I have a washcloth right here. You got right, a washcloth? Tears in my Why eye. you ain't tell me? Okay. Okay. We're like eight minutes in. Okay. <laughs> okay. I got a whole roll of tissue. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Oh. Why am I crying? You know, it's, it was 10 years ago. This is emotional. Okay. So, who was in the office with you? Okay. So, nobody. <laughs> nobody. Nah. Not at the HIV diagnosis, neither. Nah. They, it was rude. I told you it was rude. Okay. So. I, I don't know how somebody else being on that side of it, right? Like even myself having worked in a pharmacy, being on, being behind the counter, servicing someone else living with HIV, right? But if I was working as a medical assistant, trying to call people and let them know about the diagnosis, I don't know how I would have told them, hey, you might want to make sure you bring somebody in the office with you. Is there somebody that can come with you? So before I went in to find out about my diagnosis, Lord, I feel old now. Um, <laughs> they had just started um, putting a, a system together where you could check your labs online. Like it wasn't accessible to all doctor's offices yet. And I didn't realize how privileged I was because I had health insurance. And I went in to my portal that's what they call it and when i went to the portal it didn't have any of my lab results yet and i'm like yo wait a second <laughs> where are my labs why y'all not saying nothing and i've known this practice since i was 11 years old when i started my menstrual cycle so like i knew everybody there my mom goes there like 
they knew me. I was 23 by then, so we're talking a good 12 years in. And they delivered my first child, which was seven years prior to my diagnosis, my son. So when I called up there and I was calling certain nurses and stuff, and I was like, yo, where are my results? Why are my results not online? And like, Masanya, can you please come in? And I'm like, why? I don't have no gas money. I'm broke. I don't. <laughs> I get, my car broke down. Um, I'm riding uh, public transportation, so I got to plan it. And if I miss any day of work, that means I got to make up the hours at another time by switching shifts with somebody else because I'm working in the pharmacy and retail and every hour counts. When I called up there, they, they didn't say anything about bringing somebody. But I do remember saying, okay. It can only be one or two things that they're about to tell me. Not that I'm pregnant. <laughs> Either they're going to tell me I have cancer or I got HIV. Because I had just had a biopsy for HPV and they saw some, um, what do they call it? Like non-cancer cells or something like benign so, uh, cancer cells. So I was already like in this waiting hole of do I have cervical cancer like I was sitting in that I was kind of prepared for some kind of bad news and even though HIV had crossed my mind I had kind of I was like no I can't be no HIV I tested last year and I was negative so we good and uh no I didn't have nobody with me at either appointment I just kind of went ahead on good I ain't take nobody with me neither I thought <laughs> I was going they was gonna tell me I had BV or something. Like I thought it was gonna be something simple. I had it was, no, it was gonna be no damn HIV. And now I'm sitting in this office with two white people, like this older white man and this nurse that like she was so insensitive. And I just I felt so lost. And I was like 20 at the time. Um 20. Like 20. Wait. I was 20 so you, when I were, you were in college? Oh, yeah. I just told this story last night. So, like, I got tested right when we got out of school because I wanted to get on birth control because I just didn't want to get pregnant. That was oh. always my thing. Like, and it's so ironic that we're in this pregnancy and HIV conversation because I just didn't want to get pregnant. And now I have both of them. So, I wanted the birth control. May something, I go. I think my diagnosis date is June 4th because I too on a Friday tested and they called me back on a Wednesday and <laughs> June 4th. This was about to be the summer though. Like this was the, I just, girl summer. My, about to be oh, that was about to be the hottest girl summer before there even was a hot girl summer. Right. So that that just changed everything for the entire thing. I just got out the junior year. I was about to go into senior year. Had my own apartment, job card. Like I was doing yes. things. Yes. HIV wasn't going to find me. It was never on my radar. Like you, people like me. It sounds so ignorant now, but people like me would never get HIV. Like I got good grades in school. I wait, made wait, my own wait. money. Let's roll back to the ignorant part. Mine was you got to be gay to do that to get that you you got to be gay to get that yeah and or a drug user or something like it yeah. just wasn't me even though I was having sex but it just because those was my friends you know those was my friends I was messing with and my friends don't yeah, they don't have HIV that was the dumbest yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mine was more like okay so I'm in a relationship right and like. I really like this guy. I'm, you know, we've been kicking it for like a couple of years and I ain't dealing with nobody else or nothing like that. But even though we cool and I'm starting to like, you know, mature a little bit and see that this probably won't work out. And then I'm starting to notice, oh, he dealing with other females. I'm not, bro, that ain't going to work for me. You put me like at the highest risk of risk. So I'm out. And then, you know, once I'm leaving that relationship, I met somebody else over a chess game. And I'm like, oh, you know, you got college degree and head on straight. Let's roll. You know, you nice and you showing up for me, consistent. And within six months, I found out I'm HIV positive. And then I find out I'm pregnant. I'm like, hey, okay, so now I got to go back to the person I was dealing with for like four years. 
let him know I'm living with HIV so he can go get tested for all the other females that he dealing with because he probably dealing with more than one still. And now I got to let this new dude know that I'm now pregnant by that. Although I told you last week I want to break up, now I'm pregnant. So I guess we can work it out. That's how that went. <laughs> Yo, when I got diagnosed, you know, I still was trying to finish school. So babies at that point, like I knew I wanted to have kids one day, but now it was like, can I have kids? Now that I have this diagnosis, can I? And, you know, the lady seen the one at the clinic who probably didn't have all the information in the world. She didn't seem very hopeful and that didn't make me feel very hopeful. So then I went to Google and Google, even in 2008, was full of a lot of misinformation and a lot of things that could scare you. So at that time, I started like um, looking up the life expectancy of someone living with HIV. And so to add to my 20 years, I was like, oh, okay, so maybe I got 20 years left on this earth. If I go ahead and have a kid within the next couple of years, then I can at least see this child through high school. And wow. it gets scarier and scarier each year. Although I know that, you know, 20 years was a short time to put on my life. I'm getting kind of close to those years. I'm 33 now. So from the time of my diagnosis, I will only have seven years left to live. <laughs> yeah, I know I got more than seven years, but now I also have, you know, a kid and... I want to see him do more than just high school. I want to see him do college. And we're not supposed to be crying on this. <laughs> okay, so all right, I can totally relate to that. Um, but to know, like, that's how you were like planning your life. I had already had a kid, so you know, definitely wanted to be there for him. But my plans were like, you know. One day I'm going to be the matriarch of my family. So, you know, I'm I'm going to be the, the main cook because I've been doing this since I was a little kid. And I learned from my grandma how to cook. But now that I got HIV, if anybody find out, nobody's going to want to come eat my food because they're going to be scared. And then the other thing about, like, dying, like, I remember, like, although I worked in the pharmacy and I dispensed medications to people living with HIV, I never asked them questions. I never understood, like, how, and I would ask, like, my coworkers and stuff because I knew by looking at which med they were taking that they had HIV. Um, and what I learned, well, my thought process was, I wonder how long do they have to live? And I never got a chance to ask. So when I got diagnosed, even though people were telling me, like, I had the support. I had people, you know, pouring into me telling me, hey, you are going to live. You're going to be all right, you know? Um, but I didn't believe it. I didn't understand it. And I didn't believe, even though I'm dismissing medications, I didn't believe in taking a whole bunch of them. So now <laughs> we in there and the doctor's like, listen, you're not going to have to take no medicine unless like you're pregnant or whatever. You seem to be doing fine without it. It's okay. And I had already put in my head, yo, I plan on going to France. I want to go to Paris. I want to travel the world. And I'm supposed to be on some exchange highway with my, my son with the with the drop that with the drop top um convertible. Just he and I. Until I decided I want to get married. I'm gonna finish school overseas. I had been looking up how to get dual citizenship and everything, but I thought I had like six months to a year. I I just six months to a year, but I, I just couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that you're telling me I have something that I cannot see, I cannot feel, and it's not making me sick or anything. But that quickly changed <laughs> because while I was pregnant with baby girl, I was sick the entire time. The entire, I'm, I mean, I kept throwing up. I unfortunately graced the walls of the infectious disease specialist office within two weeks, maybe three weeks after I found out I was pregnant there. 
most embarrassing thing ever. Did you start <laughs> HIV meds as soon as you got pregnant? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, um, I didn't start taking, I was asking for the medications, although I wasn't convinced that I was going to take them. I was just like, I need them in front of me, like something to anchor me a little bit more than going to the doctor. Um, they started me on medications within my second trimester um, because that was the guidelines at the time. And um, so I wasn't on medications for a while. So I was in my head for at least six months about what's getting ready to happen to my body. Was They're talking about viral load and T-cell counts and showing me paperwork. And I'm doing natural herbal remedies, looking up stuff. I got people telling me, here, just, just take a teaspoon of olive oil every day. I tried it one time. I was like, that ain't going to work. Somebody the alkaline water neither. It didn't do it. Yeah. Some they was talking. I was already eating healthily. What I mean, I grew up that oh. way. That's how I grew up. Because I got eczema, so drink alkaline water. You know, <laughs> that was my thing. I didn't want my face breaking out, my arms breaking out anymore, turning black and like having scaly skin and stuff. But no, none of that. I was already eating healthily and stuff. So in my mind mm -hmm. I had came to a conclusion that maybe I'm okay because I had already been taking care of myself, like exercising, working out, eating more fruits and vegetables than me. I never, I didn't, I rarely ate beef at all because I didn't grow up eating beef. So it was just different. I don't eat pork, but you got people that eat all of it and still okay and healthy. So you were like so health conscious and then ended up with, a human immunodeficiency virus. Yeah. <clears throat> I was health conscious because my immune system has always been compromised since the day I was born with jaundice. So my mom had been like, listen, we're going to make sure that not even just we, she said she's going to make sure like my child, I'm not going to be the reason why her health is going to be on the declining side. I'm going to do, you know, make sure she eats healthily and stuff like that. Now, now that I'm grown, she eat whatever she wants. She's back on the porch <laughs> bacon. She eat fried food. She said, that was just so that you can't blame me if you get sick. <laughs> okay. But. So, okay. The meds and pregnancy. So, I'm grateful enough with this pregnancy. Um, what? Having been. Yeah, um, seven months pregnant this time. So, like, back in 2008 when I didn't have that hot girl summer because of HIV, uh -huh. there's no hot girl summer 2021 either because of pregnancy. So, I guess that's how this video So, all went. that whining you be doing on your... Uh, all your that whining. I mean, and everybody says that's how I got pregnant, but it probably is not. It probably was a different position. Um, but... Oh, God, seven months pregnant now with this one. And this is 10, almost 11 years after my first child. And I always, um, you know, I always bring to light the fact that so many women that I know have had the experience of having babies not being positive. And so you have something to kind of compare it against. All of my pregnancy experiences have been while I've been positive. So having all of that, um, you know, having to take the medicine and having to be in high risk. I don't know what it feels like to not be in a high risk pregnancy. I don't know what it feels like to not have to worry about viral load and make sure that I'm undetectable. I don't know what it feels like to be able to breastfeed. Um it hurts. <laughs> Don't have those experiences. Well, I guess, you know, I was so young when I had my first kid. So I was 16 when I had him. And I never considered it a privilege to be able to say that I've had those two experiences to compare and contrast. However, I can say that, like, my pregnancy with my daughter was so rough on me. Um postpartum depression um she was bigger than my son um so she stretched my body out in ways that was not familiar with was not comfortable with um and I worked throughout my entire pregnancy with her up until um a couple of days before uh, 
I was to deliver. And they actually took me off the schedule because I was just going to keep showing up. Like, you're not going to. I need to work because if I don't work, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills next month. So during my pregnancy, finances were a huge, huge deal for me. I didn't have um, a lot of maternity clothes. I didn't have shoes. I wore Crocs my entire pregnancy. I didn't feel pretty. Um, I did my own hair. I had my hair in the afro. Don't pour no water on my hair right now. It's going to shrink. It's going to look crazy <laughs> right now. But I used to wear my hair in the afro all the time. And, you know, um, I just, I was just struggling. Like, yeah, I had my first apartment. So I remember just telling my mom, listen, I'm going to reach out to these agencies and see if they can help me as best possible. So I was able to get one month worth of rent covered. <laughs> so the six weeks of recovery after having a C-section, that was all that was given. And I had already started looking into like housing programs that uh, service people living with HIV and AIDS. And the hardest thing for me was one of the housing programs was right next to my job and nobody at my job knew about my diagnosis yet um they watched me throughout the whole pregnancy be at work every day standing up all day in the pharmacy feet swelling i just kept going but i didn't i was so terrified of stigma i didn't want anybody to know about my diagnosis at first I, if i was going to be walking from where the housing program was to my job they're going to know because they already told me, oh, they live up the street. And I'm like, how y'all know that? They said, oh, because we know. And I'm like, how? And so that's how I started meeting other women living with HIV because they came to the pharmacy. And I started disclosing by writing on the back of their receipts. I take the same medicine as you. Um, and, and that kind of started how I was able to find someone like you um, living with HIV as a, as a young black woman. Um, the first person that I started talking to had twins and her experience was um, one was born with HIV and the other one wasn't. So um, talking to her helped a lot. <laughs> um, this is after I had given birth to my daughter, but it, it, that was my only like main outlet until I started um, until a friend of mine passed away from complications of AIDS, and then I started speaking up more, meeting more black women, um, and doing more research and stuff, and started learning more about HIV and asking more questions. But the pregnancy itself, I was so sick, CC. Um, you know, I, I tell you, you know, I'm proud of you and how you've been navigating your pregnancy being high risk because um, you're doing so well. And when I think of how sick I was and how strong I was being, I didn't realize that was strength. That medication that I was taking at the time was so potent that I would take the medicine, upchuck, and it would be sitting in the toilet. And I'm like looking at it dissolving somewhere in the toilet. And I'm like, I'm not taking this medicine anymore. So at seven months pregnant, I stopped taking my HIV meds completely. I was Look, come on, I gotta stop you at some point because you just keep saying so much that I wanna respond to. So go I'm ahead. gonna go back a little bit and talk about the intersectionalities that you keep referring to. So you're talking about being poor and pregnant. That yeah. by itself. Pregnancy by itself, poverty by itself, being black by itself, living in the hood by itself. Like all of these things by themselves are stressful. Like to say that I needed to stand up on my feet for one hour to afford bottles, which we've talked about before, to afford a bottle. Yes. yes. That like is <laughs> mind blowing. No. One hour worth of work. So that I can get one bottle. Let's not even, you know, think about the rent or the lights or, you know, the formula that you might even need to put inside of that bottle. Oh, wig didn't always give enough, by the way. No. So, you they know, said it's just a supplement. It's not to get you so through the month. I used to try to find people who had food stamps to help me buy wig. 
I mean, to buy our formula because at the end of every month, I wouldn't have uh, one to two jars of formula left to be able to feed the baby because I was told I couldn't breastfeed. And although I wanted to try, I really understood that at the time, I'm poisonous to my child. I am not a quality, um, 100% quality mother for my child because I don't have this golden liquid to breastfeed my child at the time. No, that John was poison. It was literal. And you had people watching you to make sure that you were not you know, harming this child. That's how I felt with Zion. And I went into great postpartum depression after having him because I felt like, you know, my body could get him here, which it did, but it didn't even carry him the whole way. He was born at 33 and a half weeks. Oh, wait, so I, I can't count that. What's that? I was I was in my seventh month, eighth month, okay. seventh month. I guess I don't know how to count these weeks either. But um, he was born early, so I already kind of failed him there, and then to fail him even further by not being able to feed him, everybody else could feed him. He didn't need me. He, like I clearly like I wasn't good enough for him. I was. Okay, I don't want to cry again. I'm going to go back to the part about um, <laughs> God, because I'm kind of feeling that way now, but I have more support this time around. Oh, when you were talking about how you was writing on the back of the receipts to get to other women who were living with HIV. I didn't have that. that it feels like, a, I don't know. I didn't have that. So I was just telling my business all the damn time. I was telling everybody, I'm living with HIV, hoping that somebody would in turn tell me that they was living with HIV. Because if I got it, that means that other people had the HIV. But I couldn't find nobody and I needed the support so bad. That summer after my diagnosis, I went back into school and I did an internship at AIDS Athens. Um, which I'm so grateful for because then I met a girl who with her husband, they were pregnant. And that, I remember that just making such a big impression in my life. Like I could get pregnant. I never knew what the outcome of her son was. I saw like, because I would follow her on Facebook, like the son got involved in sports and stuff. I never knew what his status was, but just the fact that she could give birth to a child was yo i could do that too i'm gonna grab the roll again <laughs> this is i mean this is kind of ghetto okay, but so, <laughs> okay so like you okay so what i'm thinking about right now that's making me so emotional is like okay you were diagnosed in 2008 right and from my understanding you was here in georgia mm -hmm. i got diagnosed two years later in 2010 I needed you so much. No, I needed you. What are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, how you down South Georgia? I needed you so bad. Like, so, so bad. I mean, I met older women that had had children and stuff. But for some reason at the time, of course, young and ignorant, I could not process what they was telling me because you, you, you talking a whole nother. Your kids grown. Your kids are my age. Um, I, I just couldn't hear them the same. And I kept asking, where are the younger women? Where are the women like me? Where, where are they? Where are they? And it took for me to, um, meet, um, a young lady by the name of Heidi and Broadman. And, um, once I saw her videos and things like that, and seeing that she came from, um, being born positive, I was like, okay. I could get through this. And then I was pregnant at the time when I came across hers. And I was like, okay, so even if my kid is born positive, my kid's still going to be okay. My kid, we're going to rock this out. Like those were my, my fears. They kept saying, you know, you can choose between C-section or a vaginal delivery. It's totally up to you. And I'm like, this is pressure. This is so much pressure. And a C-section, you got to cut me. I don't want nobody. I, I've never had major surgery before. Um, so you vaginally birth your first child? Yeah. I had a vaginal delivery of my first child. Um, 
almost went natural with that birth, but my mom was like, why don't you just go ahead and get the epidural? Why don't you just go ahead and get the... <laughs> the epidural didn't even work. <laughs> um, and and to have that C-section and choose your date and the child actually comes on the date that I chose, it was so weird. You know, I got to choose between, do I want to be in the hospital when, on 4th of July or do I want to watch firecrackers first and then go have the baby afterwards? <laughs> like, um, and you know, although I had the support, I still was just so unsure and not convinced. Like all of the people at the doctor's office, once they found out that I wasn't taking my medicine in the seventh month of my pregnancy and that my viral load had spiked and only had a month and a half to get it under control, um, they were like, Masanya, you don't, we don't want this baby to be born positive. We've been doing this for 25 plus years. We've never delivered an HIV positive baby. Please get a C-section. Please listen to us and take your meds. And this is around the time where all the new one pill medications were coming out, the combination drugs, where you had at least three medications in one pill. And I was taking um, the number one medication for women who were pregnant, the only one that they was recommending at the time. But that medicine had me so sick. I didn't know if it was the pregnancy. I didn't know if it was HIV or if it was the medicine that was making me sick. I was beyond miserable. Beyond, I don't, I was floating through life. People would be like, oh, hey, Messiah, hey. It was a fake smile the whole pregnancy. I was not happy about that pregnancy. I wasn't happy about the, my son either. Either pregnancy was not one of those, yay, we're pregnant. We're getting ready to have a baby. People have those experiences? Yeah, yeah. They planned the pregnancy and everything. Sounds like another thing. Sounds like trauma. <laughs> pregnancy and trauma. I laugh at it because it's just, it's so amazing to see so many different stories of how we all navigated and the purposes that the stories can fulfill um, and helping and healing other people through their journeys. So. so you took yourself off of meds while you were pregnant and I took mine off after I birthed him because I hated the medicine. The medicine made me feel worse than the actual virus itself. And, and the straw that broke the camel's back was he was about a year old and it kept having the medicine kept having me in the bathroom, like with really bad diarrhea. Mm -hmm. And we were driving on one street here in Philly and I made it from one McDonald's to the next McDonald's and I had to go to the bathroom. So it's just me and this one year old in a public bathroom. I was not going to keep putting my child through that. Like, how do you do that? You know, comfortably use a public bathroom, period. And then to have this one-year-old, like, not touch nothing in the bathroom. So screw it. I don't need this medicine. I'm all right without it. Like, I'm, I take my chances. And that's how I pulled myself off one of the first times. So my resentment towards the medication um, not just while I was pregnant, but even after the pregnancy was I'm working in this pharmacy. I don't make enough money to afford health insurance outside of public health insurance. I get dropped from my mother's health insurance because I'm now 23 years old and the state of Georgia did not expand Medicaid. And it was just a, a mess until um, Obama got in office, right? And they extended the age to 26. So I was in limbo during that time um, because of the government and our policies at the time. They don't just make sure you get medicine anyway because you're living with HIV? Well, they did have the pregnancy Medicaid, but that ended within like 30 days after I gave birth. So what you supposed to do after that? I don't know. I, I was pissed because... <laughs> Working in the pharmacy, you know how much the medications cost without health insurance. So here I am. I said this was the definition of insanity. Here I am counting the medications that I have to take. So it's reminding me I have HIV while I'm at work. I'm cringing at it. But not only am I counting these medications, I can't afford to pay for them. Even if I had health insurance, I still did not have the $50 copay. 
I knew about the copay cards, so I was like really big on advocating for people when they would come in and need medications. If I noticed that they were only taking one or two meds and not a combination drug of at least three, I would contact the doctor's office and say, hey, y'all messed up. You need to fix this. This, this I don't know what y'all doing, but y'all need to fix this. So for me, the, I, I had this love-hate relationship with the medications, not because of just how it made me feel when I would take them, but also... I can't afford it. What about the meds for the babies? Your baby had to take medicine, right? The yours? Yes. For, for how long? Like seven weeks or something. Okay. And I cried every time I gave it to him too because he cried and I felt bad because only reason why he had to take that medicine was because I didn't use a condom and I contracted right. HIV all them years ago. Definitely. I went through the same emotions. That's I think that's one of the biggest things dealing with HIV is you have to sit in your own emotions for the decisions that you made. But on the flip side of it, you did something great by still being able to, you know, take care of this child. Like, you know, it you don't feel it. great, though, because the no. baby was sitting there crying and throwing this shit up. They don't feel great. So with me, I did have to get a baby medication for at least six weeks. And um. For the first six weeks of her life. And I wasn't sure how is this medicine going to impact her. And when people would ask me. Why are you getting baby medicine? Because they would. <laughs> I didn't want to put it in the bottle. You know. Um, and I wasn't told if I could or not. But you know. Family and friends are coming by. To come see me and the baby. Within the first six weeks. To make sure we're all right. I had not disclosed to my daughter's grandparents on her father's side, and I had not told a lot of friends either. Like, I had told maybe a handful of people about my diagnosis. I was trying to make sure that she was HIV negative before I shared my status and started speaking about anything, right? Um, because if I outed myself, I automatically out her, or I start lying about her status if she's positive or negative. But... I was considered high risk for two reasons, because I was HIV positive and because I had hyperthyroidism. So I had an enlarged gorder, which I still do now, and I got diagnosed with Graves' disease before I had HIV. And while I was high risk at the parent, they, they, at the perinatal high risk specialist, they was like, yeah, we're not worried about your HIV. And I'm like, that's weird. Um, <laughs> And then they said, but what we're really concerned about is your thyroid. So with the medication, I would tell people it's thyroid medicine. I would take the labels off of my medicine. I would take the labels off of her medicine. And I would just say it's for her thyroid. It's to, it's to keep her thyroid, you know, um, in check so that she can still have her hormones produced naturally. And she won't have to take it for the rest of her life. That was just a line. <laughs> I want to um this conversation literally could go on for days. Like I of could see <laughs> I want to get around to you know here at the Well Project, we are so we engage our community advisory board members, we engage our community, and I just want to make sure that I get around to you know the questions that they posed before this session. Um so we had the question of do your children know what HIV is? Kind of. So my oldest is 17. <laughs> He's 17 years old. <laughs> and yes, he knows what HIV is. He can uh, do HIV 101 and explain to you uh, what it is, what it does to the body, how you can get it, how you can't get it. Um, and he's fully aware to the extent that I've had conversations with him about if he wanted to date someone. <laughs> I thought I turned it. I did. Why is it ringing? It's, it's off. But um, if he wanted to date someone living with HIV, he has an understanding and a willingness to support someone healthily uh, with an HIV diagnosis. So he fully understands that he knows about prep now baby girl oh why are you crying oh. <laughs> okay <laughs> okay baby girl um i don't know why are you crying <laughs> baby girl, i don't want to cut your story off go 
so baby girl knows about HIV and she can talk about it and everything, but she doesn't necessarily know about it's transmitted through sex. She does know that it can be transmitted through bodily fluids and hygiene because she's only 10 years old now. So we're of age that I think is appropriate to now transition from talking about hygiene to now talking about sex. Um, so for her, she can mention HIV, she can mention AIDS and be maybe a little bit like oblivious to the stigma behind it. Um, I'll give you a funny story to make you laugh while you Okay, real, I'm ready. Real quick, okay. So we was walking home from school one day and the cross guard was, hey mom, hey. And baby girl loves the cross guard. So the cross guard usually lets her hold the little stop sign for a little bit and everything. And then she goes, mom, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I do policy and advocacy work in HIV because I made a promise to myself that if you don't ask me directly, do I have HIV? I ain't going to say it unless there's a purpose. So my, my baby girl, Marissa, she says, my mommy HIV. <laughs> Next thing you know, the Marissa is the real I'm going in the street with her to hold the stop sign because the cross guard doesn't start breaking down crying. She just blurted. I said, she was only five years old at the time. It's my mommy HIV. I'm like, oh God, you can't just tell people like that. They're going to be, they don't know what to do. So that's the battle that I've kind of, you know, found too, because I have presented it to Zion as like this um, nonchalant, you know, mommy has a virus, you know, and as long as I take my medicine, I'll be okay. And I, at the beginning of his life, it was, you know, a lot easier because he was taking like the prenatal vitamins and stuff. Not he, not prenatal, the Flintstone vitamins, daily multivitamins. <laughs> I'm taking prenatals. So I would give him his vitamin while I'm taking my medicine to kind of like normalize it. Um, but then I worry now, you know, if that was too much for him at the time, like if he carries any guilt not guilt, but fear um, that something's going to happen to mommy because of this virus. A virus just sounds nasty. Not necessarily nasty, but sounds dangerous. Sounds like something's going to happen to you. It sounds that, and I know that I went through a certain period of my life where I was so afraid and still I'm so afraid to lose my own mother. And I don't know, you know, if he disguises those emotions behind other ones. And once again, this is because of decisions that I made when I was younger. And you'll have people sometime, you know. So why would you even go? Why would you have kids? Why would would you do that? Why do y'all keep? Because I want, because I want this. Like, I want the kids. I want, you know, that extension of me. But then. The mental part and the forgiveness for my own self. Some days is better than others. And now to be pregnant with another child feels um, I'm happy, but I haven't let my guard down too much because she's not here yet. I don't know, you know, what the outcome is going to be. You hope for the best. You pray for the best, but you still don't know. I saw Ebony. She wrote that her child had a false positive. I would have lost my mind. Yeah, that's scary. I think that, um, you know, now that I think about it, I did the same thing around the vitamins. Like, And there's so much that happened. I don't remember a lot. Um, And this is one of those moments, again, that, you know, I don't remember things, but with my son, he has expressed, you know, at, when he was in third grade that, you know, oh, HIV, stay away from me. So I had to teach him a little bit deeper about compassion. And it was hard to have the conversations around death early. Um, but I, I know that he's afraid that I may die. So I do try to make it a more of like a matter of fact type conversation. And I have more than one um, health challenge that, you know, presents itself uh, physically, emotionally and mentally for my children where 
I guess this is where a, a different level of strength comes in for them in how they perceive and appreciate life, you know, um, and appreciate having a mom so they don't mistreat me because <laughs> they can get, you know, my son's a teenager. He could have went sideways real quick. Like, mom, you ain't got no money. You da, 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 da. How you have a kid out of wedlock? And he's never been that kid, you know. Um, I think if anything, my diagnosis created just a, a heavier level of love and appreciation overall. And that guilt, you know, I, I think about getting pregnant again. And I feel really confident that when I decide to, my children will all be okay. And they will know that life happens and it may not be HIV. It may be something else. It could be lupus, diabetes. It could be anything else and they will still know that it's their choice to get up and find the good in all of it you know hiv positive seemed to be such a terrible negative thing from working in the medical health field to being young to being a woman to being black to being heterosexual to being um, unwed that i have had to find the positive and as i got to find the positive in it i'm going to lose my mind I'm going to be mean. I'm going to be evil spirited. I'm going to hurt people. And I'm probably going to end up in jail because I'm angry, you know. But seeing you and others, granted, it's been 10 years, but I made a promise to myself again, but again, <laughs> that I'm not having no kids until I get married. You know, I'm not just, I don't want you just telling me we're going to get married. I want to be in a healthy, loving, um, secure, um, supportive relationship, um, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and um, a mature relationship as well. But it would be nice to be able to bring another child in the world. And I do still consider HIV, but that's not the, <laughs> I thought it was going to be the biggest thing that I'm going to ever have to conquer, but it's like peanuts. Girl, no. I'm like, why was I crying then? And why do I cry about it now? It was the emotions. <laughs> but it's peanuts to like. It's my it. mental health. It's the waiting on this test back from the gestational diabetes. It's the knowing that women of color experience things like preeclampsia and they die and the babies can die. Like HIV is a factor, but I feel like that part is controlled. I think being this age now, look, I'm done, resorted to my hands. I think <laughs> this age now, I, I'm a little bit more privy to, you know, all of the things that could happen versus, you know, just being happy that I could have a child living with me. Ignorance is bliss. Most definitely. If not knowing something, you get to stay in a happy space because you don't know. And then when you have knowledge, you know, there comes a burden with having a certain level of knowledge about things because you, you just have the added on anxiety and, you know, the what is because you understand and you know. So you get to be more proactive, though, when you have the knowledge rather than just reactive. Absolutely. And I'm a J. Like, I don't really cry this much. So what y'all saw today was a fluke and it was hormones. So what, <laughs> what we're going to do is go ahead and, you know, continue to carry this baby to term. And this baby's going to be fine. And we are going to do things like continue to advocate for other women to, you know, have babies. Take if that's what they choose to do. We, good. Yes. And if you want to, you know, breastfeed, that should be a choice of yours. That actually is one of our upcoming sessions with Heather O'Connor. I'm so excited. That is, um, I think, August 11th. Um, you can, you know, be in these healthy relationships and not a set one just because somebody's throwing it at you so that you don't become, you know, another unwed mother if that's not what you want to do. Because yes. I made that mistake too. I was married and now I'm divorced and all of that because I just was accepting just anything. So we are here. We are thriving. These babies are here. They are thriving. And we just, you know, you live by example. You lead by example. Just continue. But, you know, you have moments of vulnerability. And I think that it's important that we give ourselves that space too, because it can be heavy, it can be extremely heavy. And I'm glad that there is a community of support, you know, women that actually understand. You know, um, 
to watch someone go through their pregnancy. I've had um, the honor and pleasure of being a peer to quite a few women um, living with HIV who had their fears around taking medications while they're pregnant. And thankfully, the guidelines have shifted where, you know, you can stay on the same medications for the most part. Some people, they do have to change for different reasons I've seen. But most of the time, you get to stay on the same meds now. Unlike, you know, when I started out, I had to take that one medication that was so uh, potent to me. But I think it's so beautiful and so wonderful to see and know that you can still have a life regardless of an HIV status. And as a woman that you can still choose to bear children if you want to, and you can still choose to breastfeed instead of these choices being, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> They're not making no more decisions for me. No more choice. No, this is my life. This is my body. Human right. And I got people that'll back me up. I'm no longer just having to tell my business, hoping that somebody else would disclose to me as well. I have found my tribe. I found my community. And it just continues to grow every day. So as I continue to, you know, strengthen myself up, I allow that to radiate outwards. If we have that sister, you know, out there who hasn't found her tribe, who hasn't found her community, I always will big up the Well Project. Like, this is such a great place a great you know point of reference because you can find people if my story don't resonate with you maybe messiah's maybe joe's maybe you know um maria any of our members of our community so many and they all over the place so you are not alone never are you alone and i would never want another person to feel like that. never yeah, I think that if you're HIV negative and you're watching this, like, do whatever it takes to stay that way. If you're dating a male and he happens to be HIV positive, do whatever it takes to stay negative if you can, please. Like, make sure you prioritize that because it doesn't have to be something that's in our community. It's 100% preventable, 100% manageable. <laughs> but if you don't have to navigate this side of it, you know, try your best to stay HIV negative. And if you are navigating this side of it and you happen to be a man, you want to have a baby um, with someone that's HIV negative, you can do it. If you're um, HIV, basically, we didn't really talk about Sarah Discord and couple, but basically for me, each person I've dated, I, I, well, excuse me, I've never dated someone living with HIV. And it wasn't just by choice. It just happened to be that way. I just, you know, I, I didn't feel like after a while I learned and understood and affirmed myself that just because I have HIV doesn't mean I have to settle for this personality, this attitude, or devaluing myself or devaluing the other person just because you have HIV. You sound like you're talking our dating in HIV episode. We, um, I think me and Marissa did that episode. Yeah. Yes. And yes, so yes. when I think about pregnancy and HIV, all of that comes to play a part in it. But you have more than just hope. You have real life things that you have the opportunity to live for. So, Absolutely. I'm so grateful. Um, I want to go ahead and right now throw in a reminder of we have evaluations that are available. Can't believe we made it to our fifth episode of A Girl Like Me Live so quickly. Like these have been awesome. This has been great. I have never cried so much. Like I literally might need to take a nap. Like I think I might have to because my eyes are going to be all puffy. Um, but I, we're interested in knowing how how these episodes and how these sessions have been helping you. Have you learned anything? Have you shared them? Would you share them? And the link will be, it has been put into our comment section. So if you could just take a moment to fill that out. I don't know. Get that information back would be so good. I want to know. Yes. Thank you. Um, thank you, Masanya. Thank you for being here. Um, I don't even want it to end. I like wanted to go to four hours since we was late. But people might got stuff to do. So I'll let them go. Is there anything else that you would like to leave the people with? Yeah. Um, 
definitely check out the next couple of episodes as they're ongoing. And if you have any more questions or suggestions around uh, some things and topics that we all can talk about, definitely reach out. And if you're interested in being a part of the Web Project, definitely reach out in regards to that. Share, share, share. And I love you. I'm so grateful to have shared this space with you, Cece. I know. I love you, too. Okay. <laughs> womp womp is over. All right, everybody, have a good day. I'm going to read our little outro, and then we're out. So thank you for joining the fifth episode of The Well Projects, A Girl Like Me Live. Please join us again in two weeks on August 11th. We will be discussing breastfeeding and HIV. Um, and that will be with Heather O'Connor. So excited. Um, we look forward to seeing you then. So thank y'all. Have a good day. <laughs> Let's play our music to go out.